Well, good morning and welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. We want to welcome you whether you're visiting or this is your home church. We pray today that God would touch you right where you're at. And I think the best way to start is to hear testimony. So Gavin, come on up, share testimony with us. Thanks, man. Uh, so last week we were in Saskatchewan. I had to go to a funeral, and uh, as we walked into this Catholic church, came into communion with uh, two sisters, two nuns, right? And, uh, and you know, just came in, and it, uh, you know, I got to have a conversation with these nuns, and it was just, it was so powerful, because it began to t- take off any sort of presuppositions of, like, you know, this denomination and all that. And as I spoke with these nuns, I said, what does it take to be a nun? And she said, uh, one of them said, um, well, it's uh, a vow of poverty, a vow of chastity, and a vow of servanthood. And as I came in and had this communion with these uh, two sisters, it was, like, it was like coming into the power of the throne room, and yet there was meekness in these little nuns. It was powerful because they were... Uh, uh, they were throne room people, and out of, it says, "Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth." And uh, and so, I just felt like I was in the presence of these women that had devoted and given their lives, and I was sort of like, "Whoa, you know, like pay attention here, pay attention." And again, we and then and then so we went through this funeral, and as we left this funeral, then we went to see Melody's uh, other parts of the family. And we're in another room, and I didn't know this, these relatives, and, 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 and one lady goes, she said, I'm a nun. So I'm, I'm coming into the presence of another nun. And it was, again, just, you know, it just took off these, these uh, uh, what would you call it, judgments or, or anything. And, uh, and then this, this lady says, she goes, and I'm a Trump supporter. And I just went, wow. Okay, and she just released this, this uh, whole, whole uh, sort of prophecy. And so she's a watchman. And so it just breaks all these bounds. And I just say all this because, you know what? The Lord is going to interact, and He's bringing us into, and He's breaking off denominations. He's breaking off these seclusions and exclusions so that we can come in and receive what all those who are walking around us, the holy ones, the ones who have devoted, the ones who have married to Jesus and given their lives. So, Lord, we just say right now, thank you that you're breaking off these, these uh, uh, chains in our own hearts of like the, the Pentecostal is the only way. It isn't. It's the Baptists are coming in. The Catholics are coming in. The, the, you know, the, the Presbyterians, you know, the Anglicans. And so, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for all those ones around us in Jesus' name. Well, this morning, I think that's a challenge to us is can we actually devote ourselves that same way to him right now? And I just want to pray again because I, I feel this right now that it's 10 o'clock And there's probably 20 to 30 church services starting right now. And we want to pray that God does something powerful in this community. I believe that. That right now, that as we join with our brothers and sisters of every denomination, we are going to see a change in this community. We are going to see a change in every church. And so, Father God, we join with our brothers and our sisters. 
We say have your way. We say move in every church, move in every denomination. Bring salvation to the doorsteps today, Father God. Bring healing to the doorsteps today, Father God. Today, bring freedom in the name of Jesus Christ to the churches and to this community. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's worship him together. I feel today one of the greatest miracles is when we say, I once was blind, but now I see. You know, when, when we think of intellectual convictions, we think of, you know, convincing people, like, you know, with arguments and words and bringing them from this point to 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 this point. That's not what getting saved is really about. Getting saved is a transformation from one kingdom into another kingdom. It's like the matrix. You know, you're, you're caught in one world. You, you, you take the blue pill or uh, is the blue pill? And then all of a sudden, your eyes are open and you see the world in an entirely different way. We're not trying to convince people of just another alternate worldview. We want their eyes to be open. We are contending for the miracle of revelation. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, beginning with us here in this room, beginning with our lives, we pray, open our eyes. Open the eyes of the world. Open the eyes of the blind. Oh, God. Open the eyes. Open the eyes. Open the eyes. Now, listen. When we pray like that, often we think of, okay, who in my life is the most likely candidate? Like, who is the closest? And oftentimes you think of those that are sympathetic towards Christianity. Those aren't necessarily the closest ones. Often the closest ones are the ones who are so insecure about what they believe, they can't even talk to you. They can't even have a civil argument. All the people that are enraged about Christian values, they're the ones that are closest. All the ones that are most openly hostile to Christianity, they're the ones that are closest. They are teetering close to a tipping point. They're like Paul, you know, who persecuted the Christians. And he, was, he didn't know it, but he's about to have an encounter. People out there that you know that are hostile are about to have an encounter. And part of what we're believing for is can we just, with our faith, can we believe for them? Can that darkness be lifted just for a smidgen so that they can get the shock of their lives? Right now. Right now. Right now, all over this community, extended family, friends, mothers, fathers, cousins, brothers. Father, we say, let them have the shock of their lives. Jesus, we contend. Jesus, people get ready. Let me share you. Let me share one one more story, because I know there's a lot of disillusionment about what's happening in Canada right now. But let me tell you what's really happening. A friend of mine was in another city this past May, just about six months ago, or whatever whatever May was, and um, maybe eight months ago, he was in the U.S. and he had a dream. What he didn't realize is there was a church praying and thinking about inviting him to Canada to pastor a church. 
he has a dream, and in the dream, he comes into this room, and there's this table, and Jesus is standing there. He walks into the room, and Jesus is standing there. He looks up at him, and, uh, but he's, he's, when he comes in, he's moving around wooden pieces on a board. And the board is this table, and the table is the map of Canada. On the wall are maple leaves, wallpaper maple leaves everywhere in the room. And when he comes in, Jesus is moving pieces, and he says, I knew right away those were people. Those were ministries. Those were people that God has been working on their hearts, and he's putting them in strategic places in Canada. He walks into the room, and Jesus looks up at him and says, Oh, uh, he says his name. I'm so glad you're here. He says, Would you be willing to move to Canada? He says, I'm about to go to war. I'm about, and this is the next phrase, I'm about to battle for Canada. He didn't know anything about the battle for Canada events that we've been having. I'm telling you, this is not accidental. This is not out of the imaginations of a few people. Jesus, the captain of the armies of heaven, is strategizing to go to war for the destiny of Canada. God prophesied years ago when he saw what he would use nations for. And nations are like dominoes. And he begins, he has strategic plans to kick in the destiny of different countries at different times. And it's time for Canada. It's time for Canada. Come on, let's say that. It's time for Canada. It's time for Canada. It's time for for Canada. So let's release a shout. Like, uh, the, come on, Joel. Yeah, come on. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. Can you feel the hope in the room this morning as soon as you came in? The water table is invisibly being lifted, raised. Our job is simply to respond to it. Amen? And align ourselves with what he's revealing and saying and doing. So I commit today, Father, that we want to do this. We want to have your heart. We want to be part of the army, God, as you are are ready to release new anointings. You are ready to release new authority. You are ready to release new promises. We say in the name of Jesus, God, we, your people, will be volunteers in the day of your power. If that is in your heart, put your hand on your chest. Say, Lord, I will be a volunteer in the day of your power. Lord, I'm ready for you to give me a new mind. I'm ready to give you me a new faith, a new spirit, a new vitality. Father, I am ready for the grace that you are about to send into the nation of Canada. Let's linger a little bit more. There's something, there's something prophetic that I believe we're tapping into. If you're watching on the live feed or you're watching on a video, I want you to know that there's no time and space with God. And when God is pouring out, you can lay hold of it right now. He's saying, listen. Some of you are distracted by the sin that so easily besets you. He said, listen, if you decide today that you want to deal with that sin, 
If you want to deal with that sin in your life and you're ready not to go back like a dog that returns to vomit, there is deliverance available for you today. There is freedom. The Lord says if you are willing, if you are hungry and thirsty, I can qualify you. I have the means to set you free. I have the means to keep you free. There's a scene in The Matrix where they need to get a, they have to be able to, to fly a helicopter. And the question is, do you know how to fly the helicopter? And Trinity responds, not yet, but give me a minute. I feel like there's an instant upgrade available. And to prove that it's biblical, what happened to Saul when he came across the school of the prophets? What happened to the man in that moment? He went from being a nobody to all Israel saying, is Saul now among the prophets? In an instant, when you encounter the presence of God, the upgrade is available. So who wants it? Who's ready? Who's going to encounter the Spirit of the Lord in that prophetic whirlwind? It's biblical. The teachers can teach that. It's legal for you to answer, but somebody's got to answer. Who wants it? Throughout this room and watching online, there are people who are being prepared right now. You know, I, I know there's an initiative right now to help people with struggle with different forms of mental illness. Not only is there a ministry of helps related to that, but there is an anointing that God is going to pour out on lives to set the insane free. Literally the insane. But not only that, to break the power of depression, to break the power of the cycles of spiritual demonic attacks on minds and emotions. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Father, we pray for the north of Canada. Lord, we pray for the pockets where a spirit of suicide and heavy darkness hovers over communities. We say, Father, in the name of Jesus, give us the tools, the weapons, and the faith to march into these communities and confront principalities and powers. God, to bring a different atmosphere. Oh, God, set the north free. Set the north free. Set the north free. Set the north free. Now, you might be wondering, you know, what, is it, what are we doing here? He said, Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. I mean, part of what we're doing through worship is connecting with God. But when you connect with God, now he wants to share with you what he's feeling and what he's thinking about. And you know what he's feeling and what he's thinking about? He's feeling and thinking about those that are oppressed, those that are cast down, those that are broken, those that are in captivity. He's vigilant in his desire to set the captive free. And so what we are entering into right now is part of his faith that he can do it, he does want to do it, but his heart, his heart, his passion. So, Father, change us today. Change us. Father, give us more of your heart and the belief around what you are able and willing and prepared to do. In Jesus' name. Have you ever heard of the electrical grid? You know what the electrical grid is? It's a system uh, that, of power that supplies power to every home. 
and it, uh, it, it's spread out like a net over the region. But there are, you know, there's a system where there are concentrated PowerPoints, they're generating stations. And, and those places that are generating stations are significant places where the, the power originates from. But you know, as we are expanding the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness is not a passive force. It's not just the absence of light. It is a power grid. And as a power grid, it has generating points, generating power points. And a part of what we're meant to do is to break the power of those things. Now, Kim, Kim and Lynn Wheeler were spent years in Guatemala. The area where they were, Chickamalia, and I can't remember the Guazacapan in that area, it was known throughout Central and South America as a high place in the spirit. Sorcerers, witches, I mean, they would come to that area to, to do the things that they do because there was an opening in the spirit. There was a door there. But when revival came to Guatemala, that thing slammed shut. Something God did broke the back of that thing, destroyed that power-generating station. And when he did, literally people would come there, and they were walking around. He, he remembers witches walking around the streets, dazed, saying, where's the power? Like, where, where's the power? Where, what happened? Where did it go? And it's now not known for what it was known before. Now, the enemy would like to recapture that land and reestablish. This is the story of Israel going in, taking cities, then the enemy trying to retake cities and the rest of that. This is a metaphor for a spiritual reality that we are entering into right now. I believe that God is breaking a significant power-generating demonic center that empowers a, a grid of darkness in this region. When it breaks... Harvest is coming to this region. Harvest is coming to this region. Father, thank you that you are going to war. Thank you that Jesus is coming as the captain of the host. May we be a responsive army led by your spirit to do your will, O God. It's coming. It's coming. So I bring you the exhortation finally and we'll close this. That Paul brought to Timothy as a good soldier, as a good soldier, simply this focus on what matters. The call right now is not for you to be something you can't, because God will supply that, but focus on what matters. Amen. So, um, man, I tell you, um, there is. Such an amazing spirit of revelation. I, uh, I wrote the beginning of three articles during prayer this morning. And, uh, and um, man, I tell you what, God is, God is doing something. All right. God is doing something. And, uh, Father, I pray today, Father, awaken us to know what's available. God, in Jesus' name, Thank you. amen. Let me just, uh, before I, uh, I, I start into a message here, I want to f- follow up with some of the messages I did on rest a few weeks ago from Hebrews 3 and 4. When I was a young Christian, I, had, uh, I started to realize that there are awake and asleep moments in my life. 
I mean, obviously, there's natural awake and asleep. But I'm talking about moments where you become aware and other moments when you're distracted. And what happens, you start having these moments where you're spontaneously aware. And it's like you have these moments where it's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And they're, they're, they're about many, many different things. Uh, this morning, I had a oh, yeah moment uh, around, around some, some fundamental but powerful truths around intercession. And again, it wasn't that I didn't think about them, but the, the, the truths, the reality of these things just be, suddenly became clear to me. Now, that experience happens increasingly in your life. And what, what God intends is that we are awake for more and more of the week and more and more of our days and more and more, more, of, our, more of our moments. And so as a young Christian, what would happen, I'd come into a meeting like this and I'd begin to worship. And as I'd begin to worship, you know, or be in the meeting, I, I might be thinking about other things. I might be thinking about, you know, I don't have a wife. I have no money. You know, uh, I, I wish I was taller. You know, all these things that bothered me about life. And then all of a sudden, I'd become aware of God, aware of his presence. And, and it would orient me around a different set of priorities. And I started to realize that wasn't just like your mom saying, oh, yeah, don't forget to brush your teeth, right? Where you're just aware of information that you had sort of put, or, you know, that it wasn't on the front of your mind. But what I began to realize that there were realities that I was in touch with at different times and then somehow drew away from. And then by virtue of some dynamics, like a corporate meeting or a prayer meeting or worship or something like that, became aware of them again. And, and at first I thought, you know, oh, that's, you know, I'm just, it's, it's like, don't forget to brush your teeth. I'm reminded of them. But then I began to realize that there were actually realities, that there's a natural realm and there's a spiritual realm, and that your citizenship is less connected with the natural and more connected with the spiritual. And what a spiritual man and a spiritual woman is, is a person who by virtue of their calling, their election, they, they focus to the point where they stay more continuously aware of the invisible realm. And, and so that's, that's part of what we're doing. And today, I pray that if you even just now realize, or maybe you didn't realize that you had an aha moment, you may or may not have, you may have been awake all week, so to speak, or you, you know. But uh, there is a condition of being awake. Now, I could go into this talk a lot. You know, if you go back to the Lord of the Rings and Theoden the king, you know, when Gandalf came to Theoden, you know, it's a sort of a picture. Now, this is a Christian metaphor because uh, the guy who wrote the story is a born-again Christian, and he wrote these things to simulate or represent spiritual realities. When he came into them, he knew that he was in a place of deep slumber. He was awake physically, but not really all there. And he knew it was witchcraft. And it was jo Gandalf's job to come in with the weapons that he had and to lift the darkness to, so that he's awake. So we slip in and out of stages of being in a comatose condition. 
And what contributes to that is witchcraft. And so when we say, you know what, come to prayer or come to church or when we come here, let's shout or let's lift up our hands, we're not trying to get you to just be involved in rote, mechanical, spiritual activity. We're trying to contribute to your condition of being awake, fully awake, absolutely, completely alert, or various stages of distance from the condition that is awake. Your power as a Christian is to be able to walk into any scenario, any situation, filled with slumbering people marching to the the hypnotic sounds of a spirit of the air and to break them into, even if for a moment, get a glimpse. You know, they may slip back. I remember actually years ago when I was witnessing to a friend, I... I, I, would ha- I would go for coffee with him and I'd share the Lord and, and he would be all Nostradamus and you know, new age stuff and the rest of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, the, and as I would talk, I, I could see his, the, his focus move away from that stuff and he, at the, by the end he was like, yeah, yeah, I see what you're talking about. You know, and he was saying things that I knew that, okay, he's, he's getting this revelation. I think this is good. He's, he's very close to getting saved. Then we get together with him a week later and it's like... <laughs> he'd snap back it's like a guitar going out of tune just kind of gone back to that dissonant place so I'd share with him again and that's that's what our that's what ministry is is helping be people be attuned but you can only help them come into tune in as much as you're in tune and so God is actually saying listen I am the ultimate tuner I provide the ultimate reality to align you with. And the day is going to come when the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Nobody will have to say, know the Lord, but what is known of him will be open. And, uh, and it says that, you know, that, that the church, the people of God, will come to a place of the unity of the faith and of the uni- unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. That means we're not going to have a variety of different opinions about something. We're going to have the same opinion. Because Jesus is just one person. And his nature is one way. He's not schizophrenic. He doesn't have a variety of ideas about something. So when there's dissonance in the body of Christ, it says because somebody's out of tune. And everybody's saying, not me. <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm, I'm not out of tune. There's this, there's this funny cartoon. There's this uh, kind of a map of the history of churches and denominations coming from, you know, the resurrection of Jesus. And it's kind of this, uh, I don't know what you call this table where, you know, there's splits and splits and offshoots. And I mean, there's just dozens and dozens of them. And the person, with, you know, doing the lecture points at one way down the line in the midst of 18 others. And this is where our denomination came in and got it right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. No, we are... We are coming to a broad place. We are coming to ever, ever closer. And what happens as we come, we start to realize even what uh, Gavin was saying in his testimony, that sometimes, you know, we're so accustomed to people from a certain persuasion to not have vitality in their faith. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there and you're talking with somebody who's from a completely, you know, what we call maybe a very sleepy denomination. And all of a sudden, you're like, your judgments are set aside. Because you realize, man, they're as, 
they're as passionate and alive as I am. Well, get used to that. Get, literally, get used to that because it's happening more and more. God is getting us all on the same page. And you might be surprised to find out that some people's page is better than your page. Right? So, you know, we're... The, and the litmus test of it is this. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And so what we're trying to do in humility and simplicity and say, God, we want a version of our faith that conquers the world around our lives. I want a version of faith that is able to penetrate the darkness of the people that I, whose presence I'm in all day long, every day. And, and, you know, I mean, you should be asking yourself a question. If I am supposed to be the light of God, and I'm in the room with darkness all week long, and nobody ever comes to any similar conclusions as me, I have to begin to wonder about the power of the light that I'm shedding. Right? And that's the journey we are on. And you should wonder. And you should ask questions. And you should be saying, God, align me more so that I can be more effective in aligning others. And the test that I am aligned or the evidence that I am aligned is that I'm able to align others. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know, which of you convinces me of sin? Because they came with the accusations, you know, about his doctrine, his teachings. Like, it's like, oh, I don't mind. You know, let's, have, let's, let's go head to head. You share your stuff, I'll share mine, and we'll see who's still standing at the end. But, but he was so overwhelming in his capacity to bring a clarity, they, their words couldn't penetrate him. And in, instead, everything he said caused them to be penetrated and feel like they were standing on sand. Not only that, but it caused the people around them to say, oh, these guys got nothing. That's the nature of light when it comes into the room. It exposes, it penetrates, it It shows what's real and what's not. And so we're not just here holding up a banner of a denomination or a truth. We're trying to develop skills and a quality of a presence that comes with us that automatically aligns every room that we stand in. That's the goal. And, well, what if people don't want to be aligned? Well, then they'll try to kill you. But they won't just ignore you. So let's not be satisfied with being ignored, being, you know, ineffective on the back burner of our culture. Oh, well, yeah, well, they're in darkness, so it doesn't really matter. No, no, no. They should be trying to kill us. Honestly, that's the test that you got the full Monty. And they're trying to kill you. Is that okay word to use for them? <laughs> Laying it all out there, yeah. So... Man, this is where we're going, and, and we don't want to settle for anything less. I want to be effective. And furthermore, I want to know, God, is, does what I have overcome the world? If it doesn't overcome the world, why not? Why not? Charles Finney, William Booth, all these men, Jesus, revivalists, prophets, pastors down the age. I mean, they were so... William Booth was so reviled that when they marched into cities, they came with a marching band, you know, brass instruments and the rest of that in their uniforms, and they were pelted with rotten fruit and vegetables and things like that because they were really genuinely, authentically cutting through the darkness. And the people were so aligned with the darkness, they openly, in fact, 
not just them. We heard a story last week where at, uh, this young man went to Bible school, felt the call of God, went to Bible school, failed five out of six cl- classes, was told by the denomination, don't, yeah, don't come back next year. You're, you're not made of the right stuff. He came back the next year against that wise counsel. <laughs> he, he, he came back the next year. He ended up graduating from Bible school, but realized he was not really equipped academically, intellectually, to go into a church and pastor a church. So he thought, nobody's going up north. So he, he decided to go up to Hay River. And he went up to Hay River. And the first day that he was there, he's, he's in this, uh, he, and he went to a place for, I don't know if he slept there overnight, he slept in his car, and he's there for breakfast. He only had $35. And, and the guy's serving coffee or food. And he says, so what are you doing here? He says, oh, I'm here to start a church. He says, yeah, we don't need a church here. And, you know, there are about eight or ten others in the restaurant. And he started, to, do you think we need a church? No, we don't need a church here. Do you think we need a church? No, we don't need a church here. Do you think we... That was his reception. Go home, boy. Go home, boy. He stayed. And his life, the testimony, transformed that, that, that town and transformed other towns within, you know, a few hundred miles. Like the whole north was opened up because of his wow. ministry. Wow. So, God, give us that which overcomes the world. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be instantaneous. But, uh, hallelujah. Anyway, so, we're talking today about entering his rest. Now, if you're wondering, well, last week you never talked about entering his rest. True, true, true story. Because we talked about something else. Yeah, that's a profound reasoning there. <laughs> Let me read you where we were. I think we, if I recall, what we talked about was in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. So I'm going to just read a couple of words here. Maybe try and review a little bit of what we talked about before. But uh, the exhortation, really, I'm going to go back to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice and not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers rested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. So as I swore my wrath, they will not enter my rest. So we talked about this fact that, that the idea of us entering his rest is depicted as a metaphor in Israel going into a land of promise and beginning to participate in the promises of a lifestyle and an existence in things that were already provided for them without their strength, without their labor, having to carve it out of the earth. So it's basically saying your Christian faith is the same way, that you are invited to participate in promises, in a lifestyle, in a harvest, in resources that are not provided by the strength of your own hand, but they're entered into by faith. And the idea of rest is not the idea that you don't do anything, but that toil is not the key component that gets you what it is that, that you're trying to get. So we are called to enter into God's rest. So he, he literally says, as he's writing to these New Testament believers, he's obviously referring to the history of that. But then he says later on, but, 
but, but David spoke of another time, you know, or not Joshua spoke of another time. He spoke of another time to Joshua, signifying that he wasn't talking about that, but that there's a rest for us to enter into of equal proportions, equal dynamics. So your Christian life should be defined by rest. Now, here's one of the problems. He says the way that you get into the rest is through labor. How's that for an oxymoron, right? He said labor to enter into the rest of God. In other words, you know, there's, there's something to be done to get in there. You're not, you're not just waiting to go in. There's something going on in your life. So he's saying, listen, there's a promise of participating in the enabling power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So that you can be the kind of Christian, that you can live the kind of life that God's supplies in heaven can rain down on you personally and on your world. I mean, think about it this way. Is, is faith, if one person believes that, that their faith will open the inexhaustible resources of heaven to cause them to be a supply. I mean, this is what God wants. He says, you know, the world is in need. But here's the deal. I can open, hand, open my hand and satisfy the need of every living thing. That's all I have to do. Like, I am not short of resources. I just need uh, a supply mechanism. And the supply mechanism I've chosen is you. And what, what energizes or opens the door for my supply mechanism is that you believe. Oh, you say, well, I believe. Mm. we'll get into that. What does it really mean to believe? I mean, we begin this journey, right? Romans says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For we have to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All right? So that's how you start. You actually, but, but So we're seeking God because he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the root of this, we believe that if we seek him, we're going to find him. And not only that, if we seek him, we're going to find everything that's necessary for life and godliness. Yeah. <sighs> so there's this journey of how to... We start with that premise. I believe God is a rewarder of those gen, who diligently seek him. And now you must diligently seek him. That is the labor of entering into his rest. But you think, well... I know I'm getting ahead of myself. Can you tell? You think, you think, well, no, let me let me let me hold off there. Let me read some more scripture. And then we'll get into this. There's about ten different components of this, so I'm gonna try and hit like one or two today. But uh, so let's skip ahead. Now take note that the whole idea of hearing his voice is pivotal. Okay? He says, here today. Be careful to hear his voice. Why, pause there, why is hearing his voice important? Because faith enables the resources of heaven to come through your life. And faith comes by hearing. The way that God creates faith in you is he speaks. But you have to be disposed to hear him, willing to hear him, desirous. And that what that means is when he says something, you got to be willing to do it. Right. you got to be willing. If it's, if it's something about a way of thinking and believing that you're out of line with, you have to be willing to change. Yeah, right. That's part of the problem right there. We're kind of disposed towards our own thinking. Right? 
Well, not me, but other people, right? <laughs> so the first part is, listen, you, you, you need to be willing to hear him. And this is what he says in verse 12. Beware, brethren. Brethren, you talking to unbelievers here or, or, or the unsaved? Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So this is our challenge today. This is our challenge. I didn't understand this because I, I was so convinced. When I got saved, I mean, God met me in a bar in Grand Center, Alberta, Cold Lake area. And the glory of the Lord came on me. I mean, I was, I was so committed to this. I, it was kind of disillusioning when I saw people who were my Sunday school teachers, you know, or youth pastors, or, or pastors, or ministers, or, you know, healthy people in churches over the years not only leave churches, but leave the faith entirely and not even serve the Lord. I thought, I thought how does that happen? How does that even happen? Well, he says, here, listen, listen, it, it can happen. So he says, so exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you should be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we all become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Well, that's, that's kind of serious there, right? So we, we become partakers of Christ. To become a partaker of Christ, you have to hold on to this. All right? That means, you know, I don't know about once saved, always saved. Right? You have to be diligent to enter into his rest. So I'm, I'm getting down to where I wanted to get to. So verse 15, this is while it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled, indeed, was it not those who came out of Egypt with Moses, now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And did he not swear that those who, did not, who would not enter his rest, but those who died, who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Unbelief is the critical thing that causes you to fall away from Christ. Unbelief. Now, I think I talked about this last time, but I'm going to try and touch on this again. There's a difference between being tied into the culture of a church and being in faith. There's a difference between enjoying the relationships and the intimacy and the ease of, of these connections and being in faith. And what I've discovered is that faith is something that slowly and invisibly diminishes in people's lives without them realizing it until one day, all of a sudden, they, they, they're, just, they're willing to throw off all the relationships and all the connections and all the, all, all the, the function that they've had. So walking in faith, being in faith, is more than just coming to church. Yeah. It does mean coming to church because it says, forsake not the assembling of yourself. Right? In Hebrews, he says that because, because part of the problem and part of the, the, part of the evidence of disillusionment is people stop valuing the relationship they have with one another. 
And the reason they stop valuing the relationship is because their, their, their faith is growing cold. Now, man, I could talk about this a lot. What does that mean, your faith is growing cold? It talked about diligence. It talked about laboring to enter his rest. This morning, when we came in, the energy in this room was amazing. During worship, you, there was a high level of agreement, I'd say. High level of unity around, like, these, these prayers we're praying, they actually matter. You know, as opposed to, in a ritualistic way, reading out of a book that, you know, hoping that there's some byproduct benefit, but really it's just the ritual that matters. As long as we say all the words and, you know, say amen at the end if we're so disposed, you know, or whatever it is we tack on. That's not what it's about. What we did is we had a woke moment to steal word from people who don't deserve it. (laughs) We had a genuinely woke moment. And what I'm starting to realize is that the more woke moments you have throughout the days of your week, and the more minutes you can be woke versus distracted, and is it it too rough to say spiritually catatonic? No. No. Because that's literally what happens. There is a mesmerizing atmosphere in the world that people come under and somehow they they can be in this moment where, oh, God is alive. But all of a sudden, from that moment there, unless you know how to specifically stay awake, slumber tries to to lean upon your life. So what happens? I realized as a young Christian, I mean, I wasn't hardly saved. I realized that, you know, and I was in Bible school at this time, but I realized that what, what's, what enables me to be awake and alive and growing spiritually is the fact that I have multiple moments in the week where I can be reawakened. And so that every, so I was going to 5 a.m. early prayer. I was, I was going to prayer meetings in the evening. We had ministry times. We had evangelism. We had chapel every day at 11, 11 a.m. And we had classes all day. You think, you think that, would, that would help you, right? Yes and no. Because you can see those things as a time for assimilating information or a time to interact with, a, with an atmosphere and with a realm. What happens, why people get disillusioned, I watch it happen. And so, and I, I'm saying this for a number of reasons. A number of reasons. And I, I love you guys. I love you. But I'm here because I care for your souls. And I care for how many moments of the week you have that awakening. But there are things that cause you to go into slumber. And part of what our job is as ministry people and as leaders, and there's always dozens of people in your life, is to pull you out of that. To pull you out of that. But here's the thing. There are specific things that, that cause you to not be awakened. On Friday morning, we have a group that gathers to prayer. It's not necessarily, a, uh, they're not the best people in the world, you know, but it is a select group of people that are pulled together because I want to help train them to be more woke. Now, what they've given me permission to do is to call them. Have you ever had a teenager? Who doesn't like to be woken? Have you, you know that you know that thing when you, you you know the teenagers get to the age where they start to get snarly, 
You know, kids are great. When you wake up kids in the morning, they wake up, oh, it's another day, hallelujah. Right? And then they move into teenage years. It's like, that's a metaphor for Christians who love to be awoken and those who don't. If we want to be awake, if we want to grow in this thing, if we want to stay in the faith, if we don't want to be part of those who fall away, ask to be woken up. Ask to be shaken. Ask to be stimulated. Find out what it is that keeps you alert. So every time we have a prayer meeting Wednesday night or Friday morning, any prayer meeting I do, I always say to people, let's pray in tongues. And right away, right away, it's not like people say, you know, but I can feel when that spiritual slumber has started to come over you, it's like, ah, I don't feel like shaking myself and doing all that. I just, I just want to sleep. What's wrong with sleeping? I'm, I'm thinking about God. It's not about thinking about God. It's not about saying I don't believe in more. I believe in more. The awake state keeps you vital. And so part of what we're doing is, is I don't want you just to even come to church. Well, I, I've been coming to church. Yeah, but you're not there when you come. And part of what we're trying to do, say, well, well we, want the, we want people to be saved. Yeah, but, but we can only absorb so many sleeping people. Seriously. So our job is if we get everybody awake here, God will send us more. Because... Because when people come in who are prone to sl- that slumber, they bring an atmosphere and the influence of that atmosphere with them. And so you have to counter that with a certain amount of awokeness. Yep. Can we ring the bell, spiritually speaking? Can we wake you? When we say, hey, let's pray in tongues. Oh, I don't really want to do this, but, you know, I like a position in the church and I like to be considered. <laughs> I like to be considered important to you, so... And I can, you know, and I, I, I listen to people who are slumbering while they pray in tongues even. So I say, come on, come on, let's, let's pray. Quit bugging me. I got a foreman at work who does this, and I don't like it when he calls me to work after lunch. Like, you know, this is, this is why people start to resent spiritual leaders. Not because they're so evil, but they're always the one waking your little teenage soul. Right. <laughs> and then what you do is you find some defect in them so, so as to dismiss the call to wake up. Sure. Because there are kingdoms interacting and trying to... And, and one, without your volition, is trying to bring a, a, a weight down on you, to bring you into a canatonic condition. And, even, and then, so there are churches scattered all around the earth that every, nobody ever gets wakened. Even their Sunday worship, they go through the thing, but it's all catatonic. Yeah. And that's, that's when God sort of said, okay, I need to start something new because these guys don't even know they're sleeping. Now, I wasn't meaning to go into all that, but, but this thing that we're called to, there's so much power available. There's so much available. There's so much he's wanting to give you. There's so much life and vitality. 
So let me get, let me get back on this for a second. A certain cross-section of the people that I walk with have given me permission to when I see them. Here's, here's a couple. They've done this, right? You think, oh, I love them guys. They're real mature and everything. But they've done this. And I've, and I've I, I mean, I, I probably get to spend more time with Gaylene than Jim. And, and Jim, Jim says, yes, thank you for that. <laughs> I saw it in his eyes. Anyway, I mean... They're a lovely couple. They've been a lovely couple all the time. But, but Gaylene has given me permission to say, hey, if you see anything, if you... And so, and it's not usually, oh, I'm doing this wrong. No, it's, it's not about correcting all the deficits in your life. It's, I want you to be awake. And I'm starting to notice that the patterns in your life that cause you to come under a stronghold, which makes you catatonic, puts you into a hypnotic state. You're, you're suddenly thinking and flowing with this, this other mindset. I'm called to wake you up from that, but if I don't have your permission, if you're going to start to resent me for doing that, I can't do it. You think, well, what makes you so good at doing this? Two things. One, I set my alarm. (laughs) I, I, I pray in tongues on a regular basis to orient myself. In fact, my wife learned that it was helpful. When I would come home and she would see me and feel me under the the weight of something, and it would usually manifest in the kind of a snarly moodiness, a short-tempered, and she said, will will you just go and pray in tongues for a little while? You're making the rest of us miserable. (laughs) And so I would do that. I'd go and pray in tongues until I felt that atmosphere in my mind shift. And then I... And I enjoyed the fact that she reminded me because I want to be awake. So do you, how much do you want to be awake? Do you want brothers and sisters at your left and right who won't let you sleep? Who when they see you falling under that that strain of a mindset or into self-pity or into whatever, who are saying, come on, out of there, pray in tongues. Come on, pray in tongues with me. We're going to pray in tongues for 20 minutes out loud. Why why out loud? Because then you can't fall asleep. I remember a guy in the natural, he, would, he, would, he tried to get up in the morning to pray at 5 a.m., and he would always fall asleep. And so he said, Lord, I don't, I don't want to do this. I feel, yeah, I, you know, maybe he was a little driven, but what he decided to do is to go in his bathroom and stand on either side of the bath and get his Bible, and he would read and pray in tongues for an hour. So I thought, I can't fall asleep here. <laughs> Now, that's an extreme desire to stay awake. But here's my question. When he says, be diligent or enter into his rest, have we applied that kind of diligence? Have we, is this really what, what, what defines our life? Are we this desirous to be spiritually vital, alive, energetic? There are things available to us. Well, I'm just waiting for God. God's waiting for you. God is waiting for us. Now, I tend to hesitate. People think, oh, you're really bold when you challenge people. Actually, I hesitate a lot. So the part that I'm holding back is way more than the part that I'm I'm sharing. (laughs) If you can believe that. But I do look for... Because the reality is, when you tell people to do something they don't want to do, 
They may do it once, twice, three times because they respect you, but eventually, eventually, they just start to resent you. Once they start to resent you, then they start to build a case against you. And so, I don't want to cross that boundary. And, and neither did Jesus. That's why he always said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So I'm not going to give you something you don't really want because that's a dead end. But navigating between, because presumably we're here today because we want more of God. So, I mean, at least the over dis, you know, display and, and, and posture of our life is we want some of this. But there's parts of us that don't want it. It's those parts that we want to decrease their dominion off of our lives. So I want to encourage you. I didn't even get into my message, but I'm going to have to wrap it up. <laughs> Submit yourself to others. If you're married, submit yourself to your husband and your wife. Say, listen, help me stay awake. When you see me f- coming under something, and I'm not talking about the quirkiness that annoys you, because that's, that's maybe you being catatonic. But I'm, t- I'm talking about when, when there's actual ungodliness or patterns in my life, we, we can help each other. You know, marriage is not, shouldn't be this thing where, okay, I, I see you got your strongholds and I got mine. You tiptoe around mine and I'll tiptoe around yours. That's, not, that's, that's a detente. That's where we willingly cooperate with somebody's spiritual stronghold. That's not what marriage was made for. Marriage was made so that we have somebody, a partner, who can be intrusive into the strongholds of our life. That's why people get divorced, because I didn't sign up for this. When I signed up for you to be intrusive among my spiritual strongholds, I thought you were here to protect them. Oh, no, I pretended to do that while we were dating. (laughs) I am here for your freedom, sweetie. The people in your life are not there to endorse you, but to help you be awake. And so out from that, that's the core relationship. But out from that, we've got friends, brothers, sisters, spiritual leaders in our life. Give them permission to shake you. Give them permission to ring the bell. Give them, and, and when they ask you to do something, have you ever come to church and some, you know, Ken's up and says, let's all lift our hands. Yeah, I don't feel like lifting my hands. Who are you to tell me? I'm a free moral agent. I'll lift my hands when I feel like it. <laughs> That is a stronghold. Yeah. You guys are just controlling. That's what it is. It's not that I'm unwilling. You're controlling. We are... There's a transformation that's available. That's so real. And there are levels of what it means to walk in things that are being offered to us. And if we don't do it, there's a, there's a generation about to be saved. And they're going to run in with such an appetite for their strongholds to be dealt with. Because they've lived their whole lives under darkness. Their appetite for light is going to be so great. If we don't lay hold of these things, they will run past us and they will be our teachers and our leaders. Father... We want to enter your rest. Father, we want to be free. We want to see the atmosphere of heaven dominate the way we think and we feel and we operate. God, we don't want to live in spiritual mediocrity. God, we want to be the sons 
of the kingdom. We want to be sons of God. Lord, as you've promised, the manifestation of the sons of God, the children of God, God, we want to be them. So Lord, do in us what you want to do, what you desire to do. And bring us into things we never knew we could walk in. In Jesus' name, amen.